0: Rogues gallery uncovered. Bad behaviour in period costume. A non-judgmental squint into the scandalous lives of history's greatest libertines, lotharios and complete bastards. There's adult themes and colourful language ahead, so watch your step if this is likely to offend. You dirty dirty rat. Charming the dames, killing the opposition and taking care of business with the 1930s most glamorous gangster, Benjamin Bugsy Siegel. Before we begin, however, a quick announcement. Last week, this podcast reached, and then healthily surpassed, 10,000 downloads. It's only been going for a little over three months, so this is brilliant news and definitely cause for a little roguish celebration. It also prompts me once again to offer a heartfelt thank you to lovable rogues around the world for your support. Now to coincide with this pod milestone, I've opened up an online shop, selling stylish apparel and everyday essentials. And I'm also offering some special patron-only video content on my revamped Patreon page. It's all exciting stuff, and I'll talk more about it at the end of the podcast. Suffice it to say, check out roguesgalleryuncovered.com to find the store and a link to my Patreon page. Now, when I wrote this next tale, I had the voice of a clichéd American gangster from a 1930s movie in my head. You know, Jimmy Cagney or Edward G. Robinson. But when I came to narrate it, I felt like a proper chump doing the voice. You don't want to cross me, see? Pony up the doll or I'll ya. That sort of thing. So, rather than end up nominated for a podcasting Razzie for Worst American Accent on a UK Podcast, I decided to stick to my own. I think everybody, particularly if they're listening in the USA, will be pleased that I made that decision. Oh yeah. The following tale is written in the present tense of the period in which it's set and as such may contain attitudes and opinions of the protagonists and their times which would today be considered unacceptable. As I'm not a 1930s fedora sporting two-fisted American mobster, those attitudes and opinions are obviously not mine. Capiche? Nevada, USA. 1947. Bugsy was a handsome guy. A real Cary Grant. But he don't look so good now. The bullet hit him on the bridge of his nose and blew his left eyeball clean out. They reckon they found it stuck in the wall 15 feet away from his body. Another went into his cheek and came out of his neck. He took a couple more in the chest. Made a real mess of the upholstery. I guess it goes to show that no one's immune when you're in debt to the mob. I mean, one minute you're sat in your girlfriend's pad reading a newspaper, and the next they're looking for your baby blues underneath the furniture. I can't say I'm surprised though. I mean, who in his right mind thinks that he can make money out of a one-horse town like Las Vegas? The newspapers called him Bugsy because he was as crazy as a bedbug. but if you'd said that to his face, well, you'd be needing a new one of your own, if you know what I mean. He certainly had a temper. You know once, when he was sat around a table with some of the guys playing poker, he caught one of them cheating. Now, you or I may have had a few harsh words to say, maybe even roughed him up a little. After all, it's only a friendly game, but Bugsy wasn't that kind of guy. Without missing a beat, he pulls out his gun and shoots the guy three times. Bam, bam, bam. Then he props the corpse back up at the card table and carries on playing as if nothing's happened. And if that don't be all, when the guy failed to bet his turn, on account of being dead, Bugsy shot him again. Bam. Should have stuck with craps. There's less chance of getting killed. Bugsy grew up in Brooklyn and started running rackets in his teens. His gang would threaten to torch peddler's barrows unless they paid protection money. I certainly wouldn't want to see my livelihood go up in smoke on account of some punk kids. Anyway, when Bugsy met his best friend Meyer Lansky, they started a bootleg operation together. All of this before he was 20 years old. Everyone agreed though that for a young guy he had guts and he thought fast. When the shit hit the fan, Bugsy would be up and shooting while you were still scratching your balls. And he was smart too. He once hid Al Capone from the cops, which got him on the big man's good side. He also made a pal out of Lucky Luciano by working for him as a hitman. Now, you ask me, was he one of the guys who shot Joe Masseria and Salvatore Maranzano? Well, I ain't saying. But yeah, probably. Bugsy was certainly never short of female company. Plenty of dough, an apartment at the Waldorf Astoria, sharp suits, and a reputation as a cold-blooded killer sure interests the dames. In the thirties, he was all over New York clubland and never with the same broad twice. The Two O'Clock Club, the Napoleon, Zellies, the Park Avenue, and the Stork—he was welcomed at them all. During Prohibition, he must have gone through half the showgirls on Broadway. But it was when he came to Hollywood that he really started to play in the big leagues. You see. Bugsy had a major rep as a founder of Murder Incorporated, who were a bit like General Motors only they killed people. By the late 30s he got himself into a beef with a guy called Tony Fabrizio who was threatening to blow the whistle on the whole murder for hire business. Somebody needed to shut him up and fast. So Bugsy decided to take care of business himself. He very publicly checked himself into hospital to give himself a cast iron alibi. Then, after lights out, He crept out the back door and visited Fabrizio's home with a few of the boys disguised as policemen. Fabrizio let him in. And let's just say that things didn't go so well for him after that. Once the job was over, Bugsy crept back into his hospital bed and no-one was any the wiser, but when the news broke, everyone knew who'd whacked Fabrizio, whether they could prove it or not. When Fabrizio's men came looking for revenge, the mob sent Bugsy to California, so he could lie low for a while. The actor George Raft was a pal of his, which was cute, because he was famous for playing gangsters in the movies. He introduced Bugsy to all the stars. Cary Grant, Humphrey Bogart, Lauren Bacall, Clark Gable, Gary Cooper. You name them, he knew them. Many fell for Bugsy's charm many more were just too scared not to be his pal. Jimmy Stewart though thought he was a bum and wasn't afraid to say so which used to drive Bugsy crazy. It's a good thing Bugsy had plenty of women to keep him nice and relaxed. There was a tiny French broad called Ketty Gallion. She was a real wildcat who'd made a few movies in Europe and was trying to break big over here. Bugsy spent $50,000 trying to get her American career off the ground but nothing came of it so she went back to France. He also had a thing for Jean Harlow, who apparently was brought to his room for an introduction by her own stepfather. I heard that this guy made a habit of rustling up women for his Hollywood buddies to seduce and would then sit at the foot of the bed watching while they fucked him. Oh yeah, and you know Dale Arden in the Flash Gordon comic strip? Bugsy screwed her too. Well, actually, he screwed Marie the body McDonald an actress who used to model for Alex Raymond when he was drawing the comic strip. Lucky guy. Then there was the English actress Wendy Barry who had a reputation for being a bit of a nymphomaniac and wasn't shy in telling people how Bugsy could go all night. She sure enjoyed male attention but Bugsy was the jealous type and she had to keep her mouth closed and her hands to herself or she could have got someone killed. Dorothy DeFrazzo, though was a millionaire's daughter who was married to an Italian count But that didn't stop him sleeping with her either. They went to Rome once and tried to sell Mussolini some sort of new bomb, only it wouldn't blow up so the deal fell through. While they were there, De introduced Bugsy to Hermann Goering and Joseph Goebbels. He hated those Nazi sons of bitches so much she had to sweet talk him out of whacking them there and then. His main squeeze though was Virginia Hill, a real beauty who worked for the mob as a high class courier and messenger girl. She had some real powerful boyfriends and was said to have the most fur coats of any woman in America. She was also legendary, and I mean legendary, for giving the best head on the East Coast. She and Bugsy spent their time together fighting and fucking, it was real volatile. The mob never normally let women into their inner circle, but they welcomed Virginia. It might have had something to do with her being tough and smart, or... If you're not the charitable type, it's because she's supposed to have blown a bunch of them one after the other at a Christmas party in 1936. Who knows? I'll never forget the story of when Bugsy had four of his women all staying at the same hotel at the same time. Virginia spotted one of them in the lobby and went nuts. She walked over and punched the broad in the face so hard she nearly dislocated her jaw. It was at Virginia's house where Bugsy got shot full of holes. How he came to Vegas makes for a pretty good story too. Shame the ending's not so happy. The story goes that one day back in '46, Bugsy stopped in the desert to take a piss and saw a half-built hotel called The Flamingo abandoned in a one-horse gambling town called Las Vegas. In a moment of inspiration, Bugsy saw the place as his chance to make a fortune and get respectable. So he bought it and poured millions and millions of dollars of mob money into making it a real classy joint. Trouble was, hardly anybody came to the opening night and it lost $300,000 in its first week. The mob wanted their money back or else, but Bugsy thought he was invincible. I guess this proves that he ain't. So now the Flamingo is under new management and it's up to the big boys to see if they can make a few bucks out of Las Vegas. I'm sure not holding my breath. There's still something of a mystery as to why exactly Bugsy was killed. No one's ever been named or charged with the murder. The most popular theory, that it was a mob hit, is backed up by statements that in the immediate aftermath of the killing, a couple of associates of Meyer Lansky strode into the Flamingo and boldly announced that they were now running the place. Lansky, though, always maintained that he had absolutely nothing to do with it. There are other theories, however. One is that it was Virginia Hill's brother who did the killing. He'd got a history of bad blood and violent quarrels with Bugsy so maybe he decided to end the feud once and for all. Another is that one of the guys who walked into the Flamingo, a guy named Mo Sedway, was involved in some kind of love triangle with Siegel as the third corner. Rather than try and compete with the handsomest crook in town, maybe he decided on a more permanent rearrangement of the shape. An interesting side note is that the killing was done using a high-powered rifle, and apparently the mob doesn't use rifles. So maybe it really wasn't them. We'll never know. I'm sure there are loads of superb true crime podcasts that go into this, and much more of Bugsy's story, in far more detail than I. On the subject of true crime podcasts, I can heartily recommend the Historical Crimes and Criminals podcast, a mix of history and crime stories delivered with a Scottish accent. It's well worth a listen. Siegel certainly made his mark in Hollywood. It's said that he even arranged a screen test for himself, so in love was he with the movie-making world. Had he become a successful actor and attended an Oscar ceremony, an on-stage slap would have been the least a luckless host would have had to contend with. One Hollywood story that this tale doesn't cover is when Bugsy and a load of rich Hollywood big shots rented a schooner and went treasure hunting off the coast of Costa Rica, It was 1938 and the Motley crew sailed to the remote island of Cocos where they spent days drilling and digging and even dynamiting the place in search of gold and jewels. Needless to say they didn't find anything. The bad luck continued when their ship was battered by a tropical storm as they headed home and left floundering in the middle of the ocean. It was eventually towed to Mexico for repairs. Press rumours began circulating that the crew had actually mutinied and the trip had really been a gun running or drug trafficking operation. All publicity though is good publicity, at least in those days. Oh, and a little bit of extra digging into the explosive that Siegel tried to sell to Benito Mussolini has come up with its name, Atomite, which sounds like some kind of Buck Rogers element. Apparently, it was said to be more powerful than TNT. Roguish respect, however, does go out to Jimmy Stewart. While the rest of his actor friends were all fawning over him or scared of him, he was the only Hollywood star to stand up to Bugsy. He told him to go to hell when the gangster demanded that he set him up on a date with Stuart's ex, Gene Harlow. It later transpired that he had been terrified that Siegel would pull a gun on him but simply refused to give in to bullying. The two of them later had a bust up in public when George Raft had to step in to calm things down. A furious Stuart snarled, If Siegel wants to try his luck with me, let him take his best shot. Raft, who knew what Bugsy was capable of, replied, If he takes his best shot, It'll be the last shot you hear. Next time on Rogues Gallery Uncovered. Spank you very much. There's no such thing as flogging a dead horse in Regency London's most notorious house of pain. With 19th century entrepreneur and dominatrix, Teresa Berkeley. As I said at the beginning of the podcast, 10,000 downloads in three months is a brilliant achievement. I'm really glad that there's a growing audience for my disreputable tales and that you seem to be enjoying them. Drop me a line at simon at roguesgalleryonline.com and let me know what you think. The email address is in the show notes. Also in the show notes is a link to the Rogues Gallery Uncovered online shop, which opens this week. You'll find plenty of stylish t-shirts and robust mugs sporting pithy phrases and sayings taken from the podcast. You'll look the bee's knees and you'll be helping to support Rogues Gallery Uncovered, so I hope you find something that you like. Also, if you enjoy the podcast and would like to support it on Patreon, I've added some patreon only extras to the page. There are special Rogues-exclusive video versions of some of the podcasts, with more to follow. Grown-ups only. To be honest, I feel a bit weird talking about a commercial side to Rogues Gallery Uncovered, but if I want to continue to grow the podcast and devote more time to it, it's something I'm going to have to embrace. Any and all support is very gratefully accepted. Right, that's all for now. Have a great week, stay roguish, and I'll see you yesterday.